Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It's September 18th, 2018, and we are in the midst of a tsunami of news, but I feel like you've heard that before. Brett Kavanaugh and his accusers are set to face off next Monday in a televised hearing with the Supreme Court in the balance. We have massive new tariffs against China, and China, not surprisingly, is retaliating. The president orders the release of classified FISA documents in the middle of the Russia investigation. And, of course, there's an ongoing natural disaster in the Carolinas, which, of course, makes us a perfect day for the Tuesday morning quarterbacks and that inveterate optimist, Greg Easterbrook. How are you, uh, Greg? I'm fine, Charlie, and I'll tell you, I, in the last two years, said many times to my wife, well, we can take consolation in the fact that at least things can't possibly get any stupider. And the, and the following day, you wake up and you discover that things have gotten a great deal stupider, and that's in progress this week, too. Yeah, I mean, ba basically, the only thing you can be sure of is that tomorrow will likely be stupider than today was. And I realized how stupid it was today that I actually had to, and I'm, I'm not actually kidding about this, I had to Google the term mushroom character in Mario Kart. Which, wow. which, which, which we're done, you're going to have to Google this as well. I the mushroom character it. in Mario Kart. And if people don't know what I'm referring to, I, I, I don't want to be responsible for, for this, because, but this is where we are in America, 2018, and, you know, you're, you're probably rolling your eyes right now. Trust me, within 24 hours, every one of you will know why I had to Google mushroom character in Mario Kart. Oh, good grief. Charlie, so, you, are you are shaking my faith. <laughs> the, the world does. Well, I want to talk about the, you right in the Tuesday morning quarterback up at the Weekly Standard right now. Uh, we talk about you. You talk about uh, Rudy Giuliani, um, the Russians short selling our democracy. But of course, on a day in which everybody else is focused on um, what did Brett Kavanaugh do and what did he not do? Well, real Americans are still obsessed with one of the most bizarre calls in the NFL. And because this is the Weekly Standard and I am a cheesehead, we have to talk about what happened in that Green Bay Packer game, the Packer Vikings game, um, and the call for roughing the passer. So, Greg, I'm just going to turn this over to you. What the hell is that about now? What what well, what what did Clay Matthews do, and and why is the NFL deciding that 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 is a penalty, and why are they doubling down on this? Well, we have to issue the standard disclaimer to your listeners that the Weekly Standard has no ideological litmus test, but does have an athletic litmus test. You must like the Green Bay Packers. So we will hear you. We will hear defend the Green Bay Packers for for those tiny number of people who, for some unfathomable reason, was not watching the were not watching the Packers Vikings game on Sunday at the end of regulation with the Packers leading Green Bay intercepted a pass and the game appeared to be over but then the Packers were called for roughing the passer on a play that not only looked totally clean it looked like the defender Clay Matthews in this case was doing his best to avoid hitting the passer and and 99% of quarterbacks who had ever played football would have watched that play and said, why did that guy take it easy on the quarterback? Why didn't he really lay him out? Uh, there was no roughing the passer, except there was under a new rule that makes what Clay Matthews did illegal. That's why the league is, is doubling down. They're saying if you look at the wording of the new rule, essentially it's now illegal 
to tackle the quarterback. You're only allowed to place your arms around him in a loving gesture, one hopes, to prevent him from moving. You can't tackle him. Now, what and, they're saying, of course, is that, is that Clay Matthews drove Kirk, uh, Kirk, Kirk uh, Cousins into the ground. And, and so if he had not driven him into the ground, but but as you point out, for most normal Americans outside of that particular bubble, driving somebody into the ground is what we used to call tackling. Tackling, right. Yeah, it, lo- it looks like a really clean tackle. Matthews makes contact, not to go into too many details, but Matthews makes contact with the Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins, as Cousins is releasing the ball. So it's not a late hit. It's not a dirty hit. The two of them just fall to the ground together. But as of this year, it's illegal to cause the anyone, technically anyone in a passer stance, but it's illegal to cause the quarterback to fall to the ground by hitting him. You can only legally place your arms around him. And I have to say, mm. s- sports rules fundamentally are arbitrary. Why do there have to be seven men on the line of scrimmage? Why, why isn't it six? Why isn't it eight? The, the rules are whatever you want. So if the NFL wants to make it illegal to tackle the quarterback, that's their choice to make. I just say, and friends, I am an earnest. Let's put a flag on the quarterback and have the defenders pull his flag. At least then we won't have to argue about this stuff. Yeah, well, and as you point as you point out, though, late hits, vicious hits, deliberate helmet to helmet hits have to be penalized. You're, you know, I mean, and and this has obviously gotten wrapped up in the the NFL's concern about those sorts of things. So, I mean, there are legitimate roughing type penalties that need to be enforced and they need to be aggressive about it. But how how did it get to this? Is is it that the quarterbacks are so precious? Is it because what? It got a theory about if Marx was right and everything is economics, you think about the economic structure mm-hmm. of the NFL, there's far more bonus money invested in quarterbacks than in any other position. So the owners don't want their really expensive quarterbacks injured. They, rightly or wrongly, the owners believe that fans are much more interested in watching high-scoring passing games than in low-scoring defensive struggles. I don't think that's necessarily correct, but that's certainly what the league believes. So for economic reasons, they want to protect their quarterbacks. and. So I think if that's how you feel, make it official. Put a flag belt on the quarterback. Every every, every youth football coach has got a bunch a bag full of flag belts. I've got one downstairs somewhere. Put flag belts on the quarterbacks and say if you want to if you want to stop the play, you have to grab the quarterback's flag, and then we don't have to argue about this anymore. You know, Greg, there's going to be a podcast in our future where we're going to have a conversation like, hey, Greg, do you remember when we thought that was kind of a sarcastic joke putting a flag on the quarterback? But you see, you had to say it out loud. You had to say it. Now, you you do point out, though, that, you know, in in, in contrast to the Clay Matthews non-penalty, you had the Atlanta Falcon who was ejected from, you know, Sunday's Falcons Panthers a game for a really vicious hit on Cam Newton, and you don't have a problem with that ejection. Oh, oh no, no, no. V- vicious hits are terrible, and the the NFL's crackdown on vicious hits is a great move. Uh, they've really cracked down on the hits of defense defenseless players, that is, players who cannot see the other player coming. And defenseless players now, for a while it only included wide receivers. Now it's anyone on the field who cannot see that hit coming. You're not allowed to hit them above the waist. And that's a, that's a 
great move, not just because it protects NFL players. Of course, nobody wants them to get hurt, but it sets a positive example for the youth and high school level mm-hmm. where almost all the football in the United States occurs and where injury, where the risk of injury is never compensated for by millions of dollars in pay. So yeah, well, they're setting yeah. a good example there. Well, of course, I'm obsessed about what happened to uh, to the Packers here, but uh, th- this is actually a problem now for the NFL because, as you point out, though, on the uh, this is the second game where the outcome may have been affected by this particular rule or the enforcement of this rule because you had uh, in, in Pittsburgh as well, uh, Pittsburgh and and Cleveland, where you had uh, uh, Miles Garrett, uh, Cleveland player, uh, you know, hit Ben Roethlisberger on a pass, and same thing, not a late hit, not a dirty hit, yet the flag was thrown. And, you know, again, rather than attempting a field goal, the Steelers score a touchdown on the possession. So this was the decisive series of a contest that also happened to end in a tie. In a tie. And, and does aren't ties fun, Charlie? Um, what is it, this? Why, what, what, what ties? What, what, a tie in football. Who knew there was a tie? Well, two in a row. Um, and, and it's not – I don't blame the Zebras. The, the, the Zebras are enforcing the new new rule correctly. The rule just needs to change. And the league will say, well, we'll revisit this in the offseason. The competition committee will meet. I think they've got to change the rule right now. About 20 years ago, college basketball, if anybody is a fan, enacted a new one-on-one rule that an actual practice turned out to backfire in a spectacular way. We don't need to go into the details, but college basketball in the middle of the very first – season of that rule said this rule isn't working we're changing it right now and that's what the nfl needs to do with with the new body weight rule okay let's talk about the uh, the, the tmq prediction because you you went out on the limb you, you put the pin you 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 know planted the flag you said the super bowl was going to be to between houston and new orleans and still how are you feeling about that? You had to bring that up, didn't you, Charlie? <laughs> yes, I did. I mean, you, your, your listeners should know my column motto is all predictions wrong or your money back. <laughs> so I, I, I plan to follow through on that. But my preseason prediction was a Super Bowl of Houston versus New Orleans. Those teams are combined one and three. So I, I have now weaseled out of half of that prediction. I'm now predicting Kansas City versus New Orleans. I still think the Saints will bounce back, but at this point, my two years, my two years of faith in in the Houston uh, Texans uh, are are now gone. Well, it's early. In, it is early in the season. Now, people ought to understand that the uh, the Tuesday morning quarterback is uh, it, nothing if not eclectic. So let's just segue from that to Rudy Giuliani. Now, Rudy Giuliani is apparently not just a TV lawyer, but he's also chairman and chief executive officer of something called Giuliani Security and Safety. Um, so t- tell me about why, why he's in the column. Um, I... I think he's a, a fashionable, prominent hypocrite, so he needs to be needs to be called out. He's not just the chairman. He's the chairman and chief executive officer of a company that he named after himself. And my line is that he was chosen surely after an exhaustive search process. So he's the chairman and CEO of Giuliani Security and Safety. Bearing in mind, this is the guy who was in charge of New York City 
on 9-11, who himself did nothing at all to prepare the most important city in the world for terrorism, now wants you to pay him for advice on, I guess, advice on how to not be like Rudy Giuliani. But that's not the only thing that he's running. He's also the chairman and CEO of Giuliani Partners, a management consulting firm. And he's a senior advisor to a, a big law firm called Greenberg and Traurig. And he's also the lawyer for President Trump. And, and, and this what this means is that he's performing all of these roles poorly at great expense. You and I are in the wrong line of work, though. Oh, God, yes. I mean, clearly, he, you point out that uh, Giuliani Security and uh, Safety is the company that cranked out letters denouncing good government initiatives in Romania. So, you know, one, one of the themes of, of of a number of the cases we've had recently are the number of people who are willing to uh, sell their services to, I don't know, low lowlifes, inter, in, international thugs, corrupt. Uh, you also um, take a shot at uh, former CIA director John Brennan, who also... Uh, appears to be, shall we say, monetizing his uh, skills. Yeah, Bre- Bre- Brennan is making an incredibly ridiculous complaint about the First Amendment. He's trying to pr- paint himself as a First Amendment martyr because his security clearance has been revoked. I'm not really sure why any former public employee, Republican or Democrat, should retain access to the nation's secrets. And I think that President Trump could clarify this by writing an executive order right now that as soon as his administration ends, none of his former officials, including himself, will have access to national secrets and let's set that as a precedent for the future. But anyway, John Brennan, the former CIA director, is complaining, oh, my First Amendment rights. His ability to make political speech has not been altered in any way whatsoever. What has been altered is his ability to sell access to classified information by giving corporate speeches and his billable hours at Kissinger Associates. He's worth less to corporate clients if he can't be the channel that allows them to view classified information in return for paying John Brennan a fee. And I have one more John Brennan point if you want to hear it. Sure, absolutely. So the the mainstream media now loves Brennan because he's criticizing Donald Trump nonstop. And Lord knows you, me, Charlie, practically everybody is criticizing Donald Trump nonstop. But Brennan in the process is trying to divert attention from his own failings as a CIA director, his own failings concerning Russia. He was running the CIA in 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea and invaded the eastern part of of Ukraine. The CIA was caught totally flat-footed by that. There were no warnings. The White House had no idea it was coming. The military moves that the Russians made that surprised the Ukrainian military and especially the Ukrainian Navy, we didn't give them any warning at all about it because the CIA didn't know that it was about to happen. And John Brennan does not want scrutiny for his own failings as CIA director. And that's why he's wagging his finger nonstop on cable news about the failings of other people. Well, he has he has succeeded uh, substantially in at least getting cable news not to pay any attention to it. Okay, in in the column though, we need to have an update because of course we live in an age in which uh, I I I think that uh, 
you know, I look for turning point days in American politics. And of course, every day seems like a turning point day. But if you if you wanted to identify one, October 7th, 2016 is probably one of them. A lot of things happened that day, including, of course, the release of the Access Hollywood uh, video where Donald Trump explained what you can do if you are a celebrity. Um, that you can you can grab women by the well, I think everybody knows knows the phrase, but apparently this does not extend to the NFL. So um, we, the, the the NFL apparently has a very different view about crotch grabbing. Well, <laughs> I guess one would hope so. That was quite a segue, Charlie. I'm <laughs> very impressed by that segue. Uh, the, the, last week, the NFL fined the Kansas City Chiefs player Marcus Peters for doing a crotch grab in celebration. I guess one would say of a touchdown. And I point out that this this being the 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 age of gender experimentation, the crotch grab has gone double X. There's a there's a, a well regarded Broadway actor named. Rachel York, who's who's got quite a great voice, you can really belt it out. And in a recent performance of Kiss Me Kate, when Rachel York was singing the song I Hate Men, she did a very graphic crotch grab and celebration. That's kind of a signature move for her because there's generally not a crotch grab in that particular song in Kiss Me Kate. I guess there is now. I haven't seen enough Rachel York to know how often she does it. Okay, so there are different rules in Broadway and in American presidential politics than in the NFL. Well, Broadway is officially entertainment. The NFL right. tries to pretend like there being some sort of some sort of test of manhood. Actually, it's just all entertainment. But Broadway officially is all entertainment. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably is. I used to always ask the question, what were they thinking? But maybe it's time to retire that. But Marcus Peters deciding to celebrate a touchdown by grabbing his crotch. Usually I kind of know what they're doing. That one, I don't know. I don't know. It's just the whatever. Um, let's talk about the Buccaneers. Um, how do you pronounce his first name? J- Jameis Winston? I believe that's correct. I, I don't want to embarrass myself by, by mispronouncing a name of somebody that I don't really know. Uh, but his suspension, you say, is great for the Buccaneers. Well, first, just just simple stats. Since the beginning of this of the 17 season when Jameis Winston starts for the Buccaneers Tampa is three and ten and when Ryan Fitzpatrick starts the same team is four and one so they're winning games when Fitzpatrick starts now the the coach Dirk Cutter now has a reason to keep Jameis Winston on the bench which is I think where Cutter has wanted Jameis Winston all along um okay I, I want to ask you a a very personal and perhaps awkward question, okay, that all males of a certain age, I think, have to confront, usually not on a podcast or a publication like the Weekly no, look, Standard. No, look, I'm not, not going to tell you what I did at the party at the country club in Bethesda, okay? I'm just not going to tell you. Well, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're getting into that area, but just, just, just hang in there. But we'll have to do this first. The Daily Standard podcast is brought to you today by RX Bar. RX Bar set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple, clean ingredients where every ingredient serves a purpose. They believe in the power of transparency. They let the core ingredients do all of the talking. All of them are listed on the front of the package, and they come in 14 delicious flavors. I mean, mango, pineapple, chocolate, hazelnut, peanut butter and berries, chocolate, sea salt, coconut chocolate. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free. And I know that sounds maybe a little bit, uh, you know, I'm quote-unquote healthy, but they are absolutely delicious. And I travel a lot, and one of the things that I do, part of my routine, is before I get on the plane, I always go and I will stock up on 
I will stock up on these these RX bars because they are delicious and they are filling. I mean, breakfast on the go, snack at the office to push you through that three o'clock slump. Uh, you can toss it in your backpack if you want to go for a bike ride or a hike, workout snacks, all of those things. Egg white protein stands out as a source of protein that's easy for your body to absorb. And that's what they really have here. You know, they have the egg whites for the protein, the dates to bind, the nuts for texture, other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate. Well, anyway, there's even a special offer for listeners. For 25% off your first order and free shipping, visit rxbar.com standard and enter promo code standard at checkout. That's rxbar.com standard and enter promo code standard at checkout for 25% off your first order. Okay, Greg Easterbrook, you are a man of a certain age as a, as am I, okay? And I don't want to get into the specific factual situation that we're going to be talking about, that America will be talking about obsessively for the next uh, seven or t- ten days or so. But do you even remember what happened at parties when you were 16 or 17 years old? Because I keep thinking back on it, and there are a lot of parties where I, I have this vague recollection, and and part of the teenage boy mind is it really confuses what I wanted to happen and what actually did happen. And if somebody asked me, you know, did something happen when you were a junior in high school? Honestly, there is no freaking way that I'm going to remember anything about it. Charlie, I remember being chased by pretty girls everywhere I went. I remember that very clearly. So, but but uh, on the on the political part of your question, of course I don't. Nobody remembers exactly what happened at parties 35 years ago. But what's alleged about Judge Kavanaugh is not a routine event. No, I, and, and, I, and that's why I wanted not to get that. I mean, obviously, if 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 I sexually assaulted someone or was sexually assaulted, I would remember that. I'm thinking yeah, I about think, the, from I the point of view of, of other people who are there. No, uh, the other people to not remember that's normal. But if you if you'd done what the accuser alleges, the judge Kavanaugh did, you damn well better remember that. And I if, think so. And if he's lying about remembering it, he can't be a Supreme Court justice. On the other hand, if he didn't do it, then there, he should be confirmed promptly. So yeah. the question is, did he do it? See, those those are are two very interesting questions because the question of, and I think it's a legitimate question to say, are you, you know, should you be held responsible today for something you did when you were 16 or 17? And that, there's an interesting debate about all of that, and we have different feelings. But Judge Kavanaugh has basically, um, you know, he's 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 given up. He's he is he's waived that particular um, rationalization or defense because he is saying definitively it did not happen. So if it did happen. You can't say, well, boys will be boys, which is a very inappropriate response, or it happened a very long time ago, um, because it would be a matter of whether he was lying right now, contemporaneously. And that is that is the problem. But this thing that's the the thing that is going to happen on Monday is just I just think it's I think it was John Podorz who said everything is all everything is terrible. It's going to be terrible for the country. It's going to be terrible for the Senate. It's going to be terrible for uh, the Supreme Court. Because we will never really know what happened. And so we're going to divide up with our opinions divided by tribe. And, you know, just j- just when you thought things couldn't be, you know, any nastier. Yeah. Caitlin Flanagan has a good piece at the Atlantic.com, the Atlantic's website right now, saying that 
if this is true, it's not the kind of thing that's unforgivable, but you have to apologize for it and show that you've changed. And Kavanaugh has said in no uncertain terms, he's not apologizing, he's denying that it happened. So it's all going to turn on, did it happen? And Podesta is right. How are we ever going to know if it really happened in any persuasive way, unless one or the other of the two people involved changes his or her story? We'll just never know if it actually happened. And and every road that you go down from that is a road to a place where you don't want to be as a country. No, you 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 don't. And um, you would want to be you want to be fair to both of the individuals. But, the, you know, and, and I am actually very sympathetic to the to the Me Too movement. I, I think it has been an extraordinarily eye opening uh, experience to realize how many you know monsters that are out there, um, you know, and the 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 level of just crudeness and animal behavior by people of of our of our gender. On the other hand, if we get to the point where you automatically must believe that everyone accused is guilty, you really are shoving aside you know, long traditions, important traditions and norms about due process, um, about evidence and uh, the, the a presumption of innocence. Now, of course, this is not a criminal case, but, you know, I do think that most women probably ought to be believed. But does that mean that all men are guilty upon accusation, you know, even if it is a single accusation? And there's something dangerous about that as well. Oh, that's where we are right now. And the media assumption, unfortunately, the media loves, the mainstream media loves this logic that accusation is the same thing as guilt. Uh, we're, we're stuck in that right now. It's a horrible place to be. I think we will eventually get beyond this. The history of, my, now I get to mention my current book. My current book is better than it looks, has a a section on how reform always hurts while it's happening. Mm -hmm. And then and then when it's over, we say, boy, why didn't we do that sooner? Things are so much better now. And I think the Me Too movement, we're in the reform hurts while it's happening stage right now. Once it's over, everybody, including men, is going to feel that life has been improved. But it's not over yet. So. Uh, no, it it is it's not over. And I, you know, one of my reactions again and again and again, and maybe it's because we're not in the in the in certain line lines of work is, why did they think they would get away with it? Why did Les Moonves think that he was going to be able to get away with it? You know, is is the is the you know heady headiness of power? I mean, we know the power is an aphrodisiac. That's an old cliche, but but is it also does it make you absolutely Teflon? Did they honestly think that that this would never catch up with them? And that's that's the thing. If, if anybody has had even you know a, a little bit of experience of being in the public eye, you understand your vulnerability, and that that continues to amaze me. But the Brett Kavanaugh thing. I guess is 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 tragic on so many levels because you know um you know and again I agree with you completely you know that if if he lied about this that it is absolutely disqualifying but if he's either confirmed or not confirmed this this will you know this will hang over him for the rest of his life and, well, and, and you know you know if he's but, confirmed on the, no matter how hard a job he tries to how, how hard he tries to do a conscientious job on the Supreme Court he's always going to be diminished yeah it's it's a ridiculous sort of political solution of we'll let the guy have the job but we'll harm him so he can't do the job well uh, we could avoid all of this if we had a constitutional amendment to end lifetime tenure for Supreme Court justices if Kavanaugh wasn't being considered to become basically a lifetime aristocrat. If it was say a 10 year term, this would not feel so painful as it as it feels today. But that's that's a that's a separate 
section. Yeah. And, and, and Charlie, the question of why people think they can get away with this, I mean, there's two separate things. One is that the rules of sex have been changing for hundreds, if not thousands of years. They change constantly. They're changing again. I think they're mainly changing for the better. Men trying to get away with things in the workplace. Uh-uh. It, it, we're all better off with that ending. But in general, we see all people who acquire positions of power, not in matters of sex and women as well as men. They think they can steal money. They can get away with stuff. They think I'm big. Nobody can touch me now. And history suggests that history suggests that that's almost never true, which is a nice warning for Donald Trump, isn't it? Well, and the, the other thing is just to remind ourselves why civilization uh, created all the rules and the norms and the fences around sexuality, because they understood that without those norms and those fences, that uh, that men often would behave like beasts. And in fact, so the domestication of males is one of the great accomplishments of, of civilization and that we are you know, not necessarily that far from, you know, from from being, uh, you know, having our lives being, you know, short, uh, nasty and brutish as as apparently a lot of people in Hollywood and, and in American politics have have discovered. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just find the whole thing. Uh, I find the whole thing tragic. And of course, it would be nice to think that this issue would be litigated. And I don't mean that obviously in the formal sense that we would, you know, decide the truth or falsity of these allegations, um, leaving aside you know, both ideology, political agendas, uh, ideologies, political agendas, and and sort of the cultural context, because this either happened or it didn't happen, and 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 the context maybe you know is you know maybe maybe relevant, but it's not dispositive here. But we know how this plays out, and this again is not new that that people will will line up along political grounds, whether you know it's the Dreyfus case in the in the 19th century, or it's whether or not you believe that Alger Hiss was innocent or guilty or or whatever. Um, but it seems far more intense. And uh, and the fact that it's unresolvable is uh, is, I think, one of those. Oh, my goodness, where are we going? Well, speaking of which, there there is another portion in your your, your column where you talk about um, the Russians short selling our democracy. I'm interested in in, in that argument. The Ru- Russia profits from short selling democracy, and Washington D.C. goes along. Tell me what you mean there. Uh, again, I have have a, a section about this in my new book. It's better than it looks. And having flacked myself, let me pause to flack you, Charlie. I'll tell you, I just bought a copy. Actually, bought a copy of your book. How the Right Lost Its Mind. I'm reading it and I really like it. That's an excellent book. Thank you. Uh, um, But but back back to the short selling concept. Think about this from Russia's. So I asked the question, will we ever really know if the Russians influence the 16 election or not? Just like the Brett Kavanaugh situation, we may never know. In the case of Kavanaugh, it's all negative. Monday is going to be like the worst day in American. This coming Monday, the hearing is going to be like the worst day in American history because <laughs> we won't know. But but on right. the question of what the Russians are doing, we do know what the Russians are doing. It's obvious. It doesn't matter what the Mueller investigation finds. The Russians are trying to short sell liberal democracy. They're trying to diminish what we are. They know they can never defeat our military. They know they won't even come close to our economy. Our GDP is now 13 times theirs. They know that Russian culture will never be as appealing to the world as American or, or for that matter, British or French culture. So they can't beat us. What they can do is lessen us, diminish what we are. And the essence of what we are is liberal democracy. If they diminish that by making us argue amongst 
ourselves by making everybody question the results of every election, by planting false and fake rumors of uh, wars and rumors of war, like the Bible says, by making us doubt ourselves and get angry at ourselves. You know, the, the, the metaphor that I use in the column is, and also in my new book, is suppose the United States is 10 times better than the Russian Federation. I'm probably understating it there. And events make us only five times better than the Russian Federation. Then Russia has become taller without actually growing. Mm-hmm. And that's, we know for sure that that's what they're doing. And I find it very spooky that practically everybody in Washington, D.C. is going along with it. The return on investment of whatever Vladimir Putin thought he was going to accomplish by his his efforts, the return on investment has been extraordinary. I mean, and, and I... I He couldn't be more delighted with what's happening in American politics. Republicans, Democrats, the major media, everybody is doing exactly what the the czarist dreamland worldview would want, diminishing the United States around around the clock. The United States Senate can't even hold a dignified hearing anymore. And boy, you don't think that makes them happy in Moscow. That makes them happy in Moscow. Yeah, if, if if you want to uh, measure the strength of our democracy, and I understand the, the use of that term, I, by that which I mean liberal constitutional re- re- republic, if you measure the health of that by trust in our institutions, obviously by every measure, the trust in those institutions has gone down, but those institutions don't necessarily have, have not necessarily earned our trust. I mean, there's, there's a rational reason why people look at what's going on in Washington and saying that is that is dysfunctional. You are not. This is this is not um, a, a functional, well, healthy governance system. Greg, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it every uh, every time we talk and every Tuesday is the Tuesday morning quarterback. And you can find this on the weekly standard website. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.